To the glory of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, as I said, it is great uh, to be here with you this morning and to gather uh, for worship wherever we might be on this uh, weekend that combines uh, both the Sunday after the Feast of the Ascension and, of course, tomorrow, uh, celebrations around uh, a Memorial Day. So it's an important time for us to be together. Uh, for me, uh, I am, I confess, a child of the 90s, which means that I have a special place in my heart for Jerry Seinfeld, uh, which feels like a bit of a cliche. Um, I've always thought that preachers could learn something from stand-up comedians about communication. And that's because while many of us struggle to hold an audience's attention for at least 15 minutes once a week, uh, it's pretty common for a stand-up to go out and do an hour or more with a rapt audience, sometimes three times in a weekend, even twice in a day. So Seinfeld used to do this bit after, of course, the end of his very famous self-titled sitcom, When he seemed to have lots of time on his hands and he had returned to stand-up, he started with a question, I think, that we might have for Jesus. What has he been doing? This morning, I think we find ourselves a little bit like the apostles, watching Jesus after his departure and wondering what's going to happen next. The ascension, of course, tends to be tricky for Christians to talk about because we get wrapped up in the questions of the physics of the thing. Where did Jesus go and how? And when are we going to see him again? You might remember the artistic depictions of this event where the disciples are looking up into the sky as they watch Jesus's feet disappear into a cloud. The doctrine of the ascension, of course, comes to us from the New Testament. Mark and John, unfortunately, don't have anything about it at all. Matthew records a final conversation with the disciples on a mountain in Galilee, but it doesn't say what happens next. Luke seems to record everything that happens on Easter as if it happened in just one day. Only Acts gives us the time frame that we use to place Ascension 40 days after Easter and then Pentecost 10 days after that. So the particulars of which direction Jesus went when he returned to heaven, I think are less important than we might think. The most important thing, of course, is that he did go there, and he remains there now. But heaven is, of course, not above the clouds, but is God's space, almost like God's dimension, the place where God's rule overcomes all other lesser offerings. And it intersects with our world in the person of Jesus and in the life of the church, but it also transcends our lives. This is a tricky hurdle for us to get over. We may understand intellectually that heaven is not a place you can travel to, if you can remember what it was like to travel to any place at all. Any more than that, Heaven is not somewhere you can find on a map. And it is not, of course, the place where you and I will sit on clouds for eternity in bathrobes playing harps. And that's true just as much as hell is not 
a collection of caverns underneath the earth, populated by little horned red devils with pitchforks. But of course, it takes a lot of heavy lifting to get out of those mental pictures that we have for ourselves of what heaven and hell are like. So rather than thinking about heaven as a physical location that Jesus went to, I think we need to think of heaven as the place where God's reign is realized and where his perfect will is done. It's a dimension where perfection is not just possible, as it seems to be for us, but where perfection actually is brought to life. And Jesus has gone there in his human flesh with the marks of the nails still in his hands and with the wound in his side. In his flesh, Christ has gone there for our sake. And that work is crucial if you and I are truly to be saved. Our salvation is not just accomplished because Jesus died on the cross for us, but also because he was raised and ascended into heaven. There, where he is continually interceding for us, Jesus maintains the new covenant that he made in his own flesh and blood. That new covenant, of course, which is permanently better than the old. You will remember in the Old Testament the system of blood sacrifice maintained by the priests serving in the temple in Jerusalem that composed the Old Covenant. And the book of Hebrews describes Christ's heavenly ministry using some of those Old Testament concepts. But crucially, it also looks to the Day of Atonement from Leviticus 16 to explain exactly what Jesus is doing now and why it matters so much and it ensures our salvation. The earthly high priests, you may recall, entered into God's presence in the Holy of Holies one day a year to offer the sacrifice of atonement by sprinkling the blood of animals. But Jesus has done something even better for us. He ascended to God's presence in the heavenly holy of holies once for all time. There, as an ever-living sacrifice, he offered himself before the Father, the way that the earthly high priests offered the sacrificial blood. But Hebrews said that Jesus took his seat at God's right hand after making purification for our sins. And he's still there. Jesus presently rules on the heavenly throne as God's exalted son. Hebrews also affirms that Jesus now continues to work for our salvation because we share his human flesh. As his earthly human siblings, he intercedes on our behalf. So Christ may be seated in heaven, but he is not silent. He ministers as the great high priest in that heavenly holy of holies, perpetually interceding for his people. That's a crucial part of how we are saved. Jesus' ascension, we might say, is part of how he maintains the new covenant, that relationship that was inaugurated at his death. In the Old Testament, atonement was not accomplished just by slaughtering the animals. Their bodies and their blood had to be brought to the altar by priests with prayers offered for everyone on their behalf. 
Similarly, Jesus's ascension brings him, the crucified and resurrected one, into God's heavenly presence to minister as our great high priest. He is himself the atoning sacrifice who died and rose and now intercedes where we cannot go on our own. And by doing this, he ensures that we will receive the promise of salvation. Now, of course, you and I still sin. We still fall short of God's best. But we have an advocate in heaven working on our behalf. So that we can, therefore, confidently proclaim the good news of his death and resurrection until he comes again because his work has made it possible for us to receive the benefits of everything that he promised. With the ascension of Christ, those categories of before and after, as they relate to Jesus' sacrifice itself, are simply collapsed into one because it is the sacrifice of God eternally offered. And the benefits of that sacrifice are offered to all people, everywhere and every when. In the ascension, what Christ did is now valid for all time and all places and all people. Now we know that the work of redemption takes place in a specific act within history, but now it is brought into the very triune life of God. So that these two dimensions, heaven and earth, can be brought back together. Divided as they are by the veil of human sinfulness, they can be restored to wholeness in the new heaven and the new earth. So because of the resurrection and the ascension, that means that Jesus is now able to be present everywhere at all times. That's why our prayers do not sound like a cacophony of feedback in the ears of God, because, of course, the Lord is present everywhere and with everyone. He is the one who is risen and ascended and will indeed return. So what is Jesus doing right now? He is continually interceding for us so that we can join him in God's heavenly kingdom And his intercession is what fuels the mission of the church. Because we have been forgiven. And we are still being forgiven when we repent and return to the Lord. And we're being sent out into the world with this good news. That deliverance has been offered to everyone, everywhere. And that no matter how you might slip up. No matter how you might fall asleep at the wheel from time to time, Jesus Christ, at the right hand of God the Father, prays on our behalf, forgives us when we slip, and will welcome us home to that place where God's perfect will is actualized at that great last day. Thanks be to God, as we remember the ascension this morning, For the gift of a Savior who loves us in such a perfect and all-encompassing manner that he has offered us the very gift of living eternally in his presence. Amen.